and interference, software flipping votes from Biden to Trump, you name it. Legal AF. You know, Trump uh, gets crushed being by Jack Smith and too scared for trial. For Biden and being dumped into machines for counting. All of those crazy theories that we've heard about that Donald Trump has grifted and fundraised on the back of. He hired not one, but two different consulting firms. Paid them the amount of money that you just outlined, Ben, over $1.4 1 million. And both of them came back and reported to either the Trump campaign or to Trump and Meadows directly in the White House, that none of those um, none of those claims were true, that there was no voter fraud that would have turned the election for Donald Trump at all, and that the, and that the uh, election was legitimately uh, legitimately for Joe Biden at the end. Big difference between the two groups, as I had reported with you on the earlier one, uh, Berkeley Research Group, about two months ago. Berkeley Research Group gave the results of their analysis where they found no voter fraud in the battleground states, especially in Nevada and one other state, directly to Trump and Meadows. And Jack Smith and his team of investigators have now spoken to Berkeley Research Group, BRG, to find out, well, what did you tell Trump? Well, what did Trump tell you? Well, what did you tell Meadows? Well, what did Meadows tell you? So, so that is a big interest because it helps create um, criminal intent and criminal mind for Donald Trump knowing at the time, or knowing or should have known, or being what's called willfully blind, putting your hand and you know, putting your hand over your ears and your eyes and burying your head in the sand because you don't want to hear bad facts, even from your own uh, firm that you hired to give you that information. That's Berkeley Research Group. Simpatico Software, which is also a legitimate company based in Rhode Island, run by a gentleman who ran for a Rhode Island governor, who is a, a, apparently a moderate Republican, but not a Trumper. He got paid $750,000 to find voter fraud in the battleground states. And he reported back to the Trump campaign this time, not directly to Trump and Meadows, but to the Trump campaign, and told them, sorry, there are no examples of voter fraud at all to support your theories. And I've looked at not only the ones that the campaign has given me to track down, but a bunch of other working theories from outside groups, and there is no voter fraud. In fact, that guy, Ken Block, who runs Simpatico, has put up on his own LinkedIn, on his own Twitter, that the election was basically safe and secure. There was no voter fraud. Um, he's trying to pitch his services as he reframes his company now, now that he's been caught up in the maelstrom of Jack Smith's investigation, and he still wants to have a going concern. So now he's pitched it as, it's just really confusing with all the different laws out there at the state level, different machines that are used. You know, why don't we simplify it, and, and I'll help with that. But there's no fraud. I assure you there was no fraud. So that's Ken Block. He's been talking to the, the, the uh, Jack Smith, not a grand jury. He was subpoenaed, and his company was subpoenaed. Um, one day he may go into the grand jury, but for right now they're at the investigative level. And, and it, it just dovetails so perfectly with the earlier reporting on the on Berkeley Research Group, which has also gone in front of Jack Smith, to tell that tale. And why is this really important? It comes down to criminal intent. we got to show willfulness and criminal intent by Donald Trump while he's out raising $250 million, knowing that everything is a lie. Because the law doesn't allow you to go out and hire consultants to tell you the truth, which is what you're saying is a lie, and then go out and do it anyway, and then do emails to raise money or send out mailers by post office to raise money, because that's called, and we'll talk about it later, wire fraud and mail fraud, which is the easiest thing 
in the DOJ toolbox to use. That's why it's in almost every major indictment as one element or more of mail fraud and wire fraud. Because all you got to do is show that the person said something that was false that led the other person to give them money, and it was done with willfulness or with an intent. And this is where the Berkeley Research Group and Simpatico evidence nails Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, and others in that conspiracy. So let's get into the wire fraud uh, investigation, what wire fraud is, what mail fraud is, why special counsel Jack Smith is focusing there, and actually... If you've been watching Legal AF, you know that uh, we've always felt here that's actually been the strongest uh, part of Special Counsel Jack Smith's case. I think it's all very strong, but what prosecutors are great at is finding the money in a case where there's documented fraud, where you can show records and data and show where the money's going and trace the money. And frankly, there is nobody better at that than special counsel Jack Smith. And when Jack Smith was originally appointed, you know, you, me, um, Karen Friedman, Agnifilo, you know, we had all said there's definitely going to be a wire fraud component of this because that's really what you focus on in the public integrity section at the Department of Justice. And that's what special counsel Jack Smith led starting in 2010. Um, that's the team of people Special Counsel Jack Smith has surrounded himself with in this investigation, are former heads of the public integrity section. So let's talk about these wire fraud charges he's investigating, but first, let's take a quick break. This is Michael Popak from Legal AF. If you're like me, you understand the pains of choosing what to wear. Let's face it. Most clothes are uncomfortable, or too tight, or never actually the size you really are. Not to mention the annoyance of trying today. to put a good outfit together. And when you do have a good fit, you can only wear it for a few hours before you have an important. I last left off, we uh, talked about Simpatico and Berkeley Research. We talked about Special Counsel Jack Smith's criminal investigation. And before the break, I said, let's talk about these wire fraud charges and these mail fraud charges. Basically, put very simply, when Donald Trump threw, you know, in the old days, it was through the wire, right? That's why it's called wire fraud. But now through emails and through other social media and other modalities of modern communication, lies to people and says, hey, we're raising money for the election defense fund. Please donate to the election defense fund where your money will go to do X, Y, and Z. Well, one, when you know that where you're telling people's money that it's going to go to is patently frivolous from the outset, that's a crime. But more significantly, when an election defense fund doesn't even exist, yeah, that's, that's a crime too. Trump didn't have an election defense fund, yet he sent emails and messages to people saying that their money was going to go to one. But where did it go? Well, their money went to things like hiring the lawyers to defend Donald Trump in the E. Jean Carroll case, or hiring lawyers to defend Donald Trump in Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's prosecution. Things having nothing to do with the election fund that didn't actually exist. And so you may have heard some of these audio tapes thanks to the um, you know, Im important, important whistleblower work of Abby Grossberg, who used to be an executive producer um, at Fox for Maria Bartiroma and Tucker. But like, there's a tape, for example, of Peter Navarro 
But one of the criticisms that he has is that the money is being diverted away from his Green Bay, you know, sweep plan where he wanted to, a crime, by the way, to overthrow the election. But he was like, they're not even using the money for that plan. It's just going to line the pockets of Donald Trump's, you know, inner circle. And there's a reason Special Counsel Jack Smith also wanted those tapes from Abby Grossberg. And Grossberg's lawyer, Jerry Filipatos, confirmed uh, this week as well that those tapes have gone to Special Counsel Jack Smith. And he said there's over 90 tapes that Abby Grossberg took from these pre-interviews that never were actually aired on Fox. So great work there by Abby Grossberg. But yeah, these wire fraud charges. You know, you know, you got to dig in them. You got to dig through the facts, you know, and it's very kind of very work intensive to get all the information. But once you got the facts there and you say, hey, from November 2020 through the insurrection, Trump raised about two hundred and fifty million dollars. Where did it go? And then you follow the money and you find out that these shell groups are being created by Trump. And it's basically going to places that uh, Trump lying about and saying they're going to other places. Let's remember that the feds charged Steve Bannon with wire with wire fraud in connection with the We Build the Wall scam. Donald Trump pardoned Steve Bannon for that. Remember? By the way, Bannon's co-conspirator in that thrown under the bus. Thrown under the bus, like four-year sentence um, after a guilty plea. But Bannon got fully pardoned for lying to people on GoFundMe saying, if you give money, we will build the wall that Mexico was supposed to pay for, and then Bannon was spending his time on yachts with your money, living the high life. Does anything say MAGA like that? So I like that theme of the episode. Does anything say MAGA like fake Nazi portraits being displayed <laughs> in billionaires' homes? Does anything say MAGA like uh, grifting off of GoFundMe to build a wall that Mexico was supposed to pay for and then using it to hang out on private yachts. Uh, that's pretty MAGA to me. Well, what, what else do we know about these wire fraud uh, investigations? Yeah, well, 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 to your point then, uh, we, and we reported back in January when it happened, um, Jack Smith brought in two senior prosecutors and deputized them as special prosecutors um, right out of public public integrity and public corruption, right out of follow the money, Ray Holzer, who took over for Jack in the public integrity unit after Jack left, he brought Ray Holzer in, is working on Jack's team, and David Harbach uh, currently, or was currently at a large national law firm based in, um, in California, but had been, uh, and had also represented Comey at one point, FBI Director Comey, between the two of them, they had prosecuted some of the most highest profile public integrity and corruption cases of, of elected officials for Donald Trump. So that included um, Senator Menendez of New Jersey, the Virginia Governor Bob, um, Bob McDermott, and um, Senator John Edwards. And those were the two lead prosecutors for that. So. He's dusted off this, this uh, elite team of public corruption prosecutors to work on his team and to, and to do what you said, which is follow the money. And it, it, we'll put it up on the screen. We've done it already. That statute, 
been on the books forever. So It's so old that, it, as you said, it went back to the days of telegram and telegraph, calling it wire fraud. Um, but now it's been interpreted by the courts to include emails and email blasts. And each one of those emails, not just like, well, on October, you know, let's just do the dates. On, on, uh, on January 8th, they sent out a blast. Um, that was a, based on a series of lies that, that Trump knew or should have known about in order to collect up money. It's not just one blast under the 18 U.S.C. Section 1343. Each individual email, each individual letter, mailer, is considered a violation, a criminal violation of the statute. It's grouped together at the time of sentencing by the federal judge in trying to decide how many years to give the person who's been convicted of it. It is, uh, having been on the other side as a defense lawyer, representing clients who have had mail and wire fraud, I will tell you it is the scariest of charges to defend against because it is so elegant in its simplicity for the, for the prosecutor to have to make out. And what we're watching and what we're reporting on in real time on Legal AF are the components of each of the elements of crimes like and wire fraud. But now we get to see it. That, I think that's why people like the show, I assume, is because they get to see not just the cold recitation of the law, like we just put up a minute ago, but we get to show you how the case is built, how the evidence is obtained, how the witness testimony is, is brought forward, how every link in the chain is developed so that the prosecutor in going into a grand jury or ultimately to a regular grand jury can put that back up on the on the on the uh, on its easel in front of his, his uh, electronic presentation and say to the jury there are three elements to this crime you'll be charged by the judge at the end of this case about it it's this this and this and we will show you the evidence will show as to the first element we have the testimony of da, 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 da. the next element. We have this document, this document, this document. And this is how you build an airtight case that survives a motion to dismiss that will inevitably be, bought, be brought by Donald Trump at some point. So you can get past the motion practice and you can get to a jury deciding on an indicted president, which is what the ultimate goal is. All the rest of this stuff all falls apart if you don't have an airtight indictment properly presented to the jury returning an indictment that then you can then take in with supported evidence with your burden, which of course, as we've always said, as Karen says, almost every time we're on the show, is at the highest level. The burden on the government is the highest level of burden that is allowed in a courtroom beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's what keeps prosecutors up at night, being able to present their case without reasonable doubt being injected so they don't lose a juror because these things have to be unanimous and that's why people say it's time it's wasted it's not it's methodical building we just get to report on it on an hourly or weekly basis and exactly because the indictment against donald trump when it's brought by special counsel jack smith it's not going to be like a five count indictment like possibly will be like a hundreds, maybe even a thousand plus count indictment. Thousands of talking about thousands of counts of indictment for thousands of specific individual crimes. Um, and, and I want you to think about it as well, because there's really four main inquiries of special counsel Jack Smith right now, the day of January 6th, like Donald Trump, um, encouraging and aiding and abetting the violence of the insurrectionists that day itself. 
the fake elector scheme, Donald Trump's conspiracy to have these Republicans falsely certify their names in states that Biden won to claim that Trump won those states, um, the wire fraud that we just talked about, and then the pressuring and the threatening of state and local legislatures, those are kind of the 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 four main topics. There's subtopics within them. Frankly, because of all of the immunities that Donald Trump could potentially have, or, or defenses you could make or conjure, contrive, bad defenses, but nonetheless things you can contrive as a former president, the wire fraud claims um, are actually by far the ones that are least vulnerable to collateral attack by any of these BS immunities. And there are BS claims, like Donald Trump will lose them, but the wire fraud's the clearest path with the least delay. But I think Special Counsel Jack Smith's gonna bring charges on all of them. Let's talk about, though, Ivanka Trump for a moment. Then we'll talk about the E. Jean Carroll trial and what went down there. But briefly, let's talk about Ivanka Trump hiring new lawyers, new law firm. Bennett Moskowitz has been hired by Ivanka. She got rid of her old firms. She had two firms before. She had like a local firm from New York, this firm called Roberts and Roberts, and then she had a, a DC firm. The, the local Roberts firm was also representing her brothers, um, was representing Don Jr. and Eric. And so that firm was representing all of, all of them. Uh, but we started to see, I think, cracks in that joint representation, even dating back in 2022, where Ivanka cut a deal with New York Attorney General Letitia James um, in connection with, and I should just rewind briefly for a moment that what's this case about that Ivanka switching lawyers? It's the New York Attorney General Letitia James civil fraud case against Donald Trump, his adult children, uh, and the Trump organization seeking at least $250 million, likely billions of dollars, by the time it goes to trial on October 2nd, 2023. It's before a New York Supreme Court judge, New York, the Supreme Court's their trial level judge, um, it's their lower court, called uh, Justice Arthur Angoran, um, and Angoran said, come hell or high water, this case is going to trial October 2nd, 2023, so it's a firm date. There's also injunctive relief being sought by the New York Attorney General's office to stop the Trump Organization from doing further business. Uh, in the state of New York, effectively stopping the Trump Organization from functioning if they prevail. Um, so that case was filed September of 2022. In December of 2022, after Judge Arthur and Goron granted an injunction to have a financial monitor oversee Trump's kids and Donald Trump and the Trump Organization's finances, Ivanka cut a deal to be treated differently than her brothers and her dad with New York Attorney General Letitia James. And New York Attorney General Letitia James was okay with that deal, which she wouldn't give for, for nothing, right, Popak? Like, there was obviously some discussions. And we had to go back to our episode in December because we talked about how it seems like Ivanka is going to be pursuing this alternative path. Then, Popak, you want to take us current because there was a filing in March by Ivanka Trump um, uh, where she, or a letter brief to the court where she wanted to be treated differently. And she was like, yeah, it's my dad and, and my brother's engaged in that conduct. Treat me differently. I didn't do that. I wasn't there since 2017. And then that brings us to this switch of lawyers. 
Yeah, so when the um, uh, Attorney General, as one of her powers, was able to get the financial monitor in place several months ago, when you and I did some really in-depth reporting on it at the time, placing the Trump Organization and Don Jr., Donald Trump, under a monitor, a former federal judge, to keep an eye on the money for the, because it's a going concern. We keep talking about the, you know, the, the 17 count criminally indicted and convicted Trump organization and its supporting subsidiaries. They're still running businesses and they're still bringing in money and spending money. Um, there's money in and money out. And so, um, because it's a fraudulent entity as far as Patricia James is concerned, it has convinced Judge Angoron of that and that they could be perpetuating a continuing frauds, which the, the Attorney General has the power to stop, the judge gave her the monitor. Except about a, a month or two later, maybe a month later, Ivanka came back with her then existing lawyers and said, hey, treat me differently. Um, I have, like you said, Ben, I haven't been there since 2017. I don't want to be monitored. I, I moved to Florida. I don't barely know what's going on. My brothers run the business is not consistent, which is inconsistent with what is in the hundreds of page complaint filed by Letitia James, which tells us really everything about the case. Ivanka is in the crosshairs. She is listed as participating in insurance fraud involving Zurich Insurance Company and Chicago Properties for the Trumps. She's involved with appraisal fraud, according to the filing. She's involved with her own fraud involving her own apartment, because like, 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 Daddy like, uh, like daddy like daughter. You know, daddy uh, uh, overinflated by many magnitudes the value of his giant mega apartment on, uh, on um, Fifth Avenue directly across from the department store we're going to talk about with E. Jean Carroll matter in Trump Tower. And she did the same thing because she had an apartment that was valued at $25 million, but she had an $8 million option to purchase it. And that's all spelled out in the Attorney General's claim. Speaking of new lawyers, Ben... Got two people with new lawyers in the last 30 to 60 days. Alan Weisselberg, who is now out of Rikers Island, the former CFO of the Trump Organization, who testified, you know, basically testified against the Trump Organization and Donald Trump, leading to the 17 con felony convictions by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. He's out. His five and a half months is over, and he left a, uh, a free man. Uh, subject to future prosecution by the Manhattan DA's office, and he got a new lawyer while he was still in jail. So the so the lawyer that had been representing him and paid for by the Trump organization, Donald Trump, is gone. We're not sure exactly who's paying for the new lawyer, but he felt he needed a new lawyer to inter interact with the Manhattan DA's office and anybody else. He's also on the hook in the New York Attorney General suit you're talking about, and we're talking about. She, he got a new lawyer. Now, Ivanka, consistent with her are convincing somehow, and we don't know yet, it'll be in somebody's memoir or when it's finally in the case of the prosecution and the uh, presentation uh, of, the, uh, of the civil case to the jury, if you will, something happened because Letitia James, James we know, is uh, a, a pit bull and she's not letting go of the Trumps. And the fact that she let her out from being financially monitored, we thought signaled a level of cooperation that she wasn't getting from Eric Jr., Don Jr., and certainly from Donald Trump. Because what was the trade? What was the quid pro quo? We don't know what it is now. The fact that she's now brought in Bennett Moskowitz, whose claim to fame recently is not great. He's been representing the Epstein, the Jeffrey Epstein estate against claims against it by various people who were molested and raped by Jeffrey Epstein. 
the disgraced now um, dead uh, financier with close connections to people like Donald Trump and others. So, but she, you know, he's a legitimate guy in the world of white collar defense. Um, he's at a legitimate firm that we, you and I both know. So I get it. She needed to change horses. She wants somebody else interacting with the New York Attorney General's office and maybe cutting a deal. She's also one of the few Trumpers, Trumps, that didn't take the fifth hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in response to uh, the original set of depositions. We know now Donald Trump has decided it's in his best interest to waive the Fifth Amendment um, and not assert the Fifth Amendment privilege and has gave a recent deposition. And I assume Ivanka is either we're going to see a new deposition of Ivanka or something else that's going to come out of because I can't believe and the combination of her being let out voluntarily by the attorney general from being covered by the monitor and now having a new attorney isn't for some good reason. What do you think that good reason is? You know, I think that especially with her dad testifying, and I think she intuitively knows how that went down and knows that it went down bad. I think she also wants to separate herself not just from the case, from the civil standpoint, but also from an optics view, from potential criminal charges. Because let's not forget as well, while the New York Attorney General is pursuing the civil case, Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan District Attorney, is still investigating Donald Trump's criminal conduct for the fraudulent financial valuations. Just because he brought the falsification of business records first, relating to the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels, doesn't mean Alvin Bragg is done. Alvin Bragg's just said, I'm doing a process where first, Trump organization, second, falsifying business records, third, we're still investigating falsification and fraudulent uh, financial valuations. We just need more evidence. What was the more evidence? Deposition. The deposition of Donald Trump. Alvin Bragg knew that if he jumped the New York Attorney General and charged Trump with financial fraudulent valuation crimes before the New York Attorney General's case went to trial or before the deposition of Donald Trump, it would have derailed Donald Trump's deposition. And Donald Trump would never have given the deposition. It would have stopped New York Attorney General Letitia James' case from going forward. So that's what's going on there. You, you, you know, we, we okay, before you move on, we, we talked about because there was so much initial resistance to Alvin Bragg <laughs> as a as a prosecutor, mainly of his own making, you and I talked about if you want to, we like talk we're talking about the annals of legal AF now. If you go back to the annals of our hot takes and our analysis on legal AF, you and I and I did a hot take six months ago about the close working relationship between Alvin Bragg's office and Letitia James's office that they're not at odds that they have people deputized for each other working in each other's offices, investigators that are cross-deputized and that they know what's civil and what's best to go first, and they know what's criminal and what's best to go in a different direction, and they have been together pulling this wagon, not at cross-purposes. Of course, when we said it then, it was like, oh, sure, Popak, that sounds interesting, but why isn't Alvin Bragg doing more? Great glasses. We, we, we are. <laughs> what is it? He said, great glasses, Popak, but be Drink quiet. But, 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 but be quiet. We want to attack Alvin Bragg. But, but that's, that's the way it's been from day one. They have worked together. In fact, as you and I reported earlier, 
months earlier, Donald Trump argued that the civil prosecution, I keep saying the civil prosecution, the civil case is really a criminal prosecution and he should be, they should be forced to give him immunity on the criminal side because he's being tested, he's testifying on the civil side. And every court said, no, civil and criminal can work parallel to each other and it doesn't create a criminal jeopardy problem for you. Masterful work by Letitia James, New York Attorney General, and Alvin Bragg, Manhattan DA, working together within their powers, within their separate, unique toolbox to bring justice to the Trump family. Couldn't agree more with you there, but I'm sure we'll be hearing more from Ivanka. But the last point I'll make on Ivanka. The complaint brought by the New York Attorney General uh, alleges a decades-long scheme and what Ivanka basically says is, I haven't been there since 2017 at the Trump Organization, which I don't fully buy. Um, but the whole scheme and the crime that was committed, if you're aware of it and you're not doing anything to stop it and you were the person who put it into motion and the damage is still being felt today, um, you could still be on the hook there. So. I don't think Ivanka has any good arguments when she goes, but I left in 2017, and then they did all the statement of financial conditions since then. But we will keep you posted as there are more developments uh, there. Let's go to the E. Jean Carroll uh, case, uh, the trial in the federal courthouse in Manhattan. Wow. Judge Lewis Kaplan runs a very efficient court. Jury selection took place on Wednesday. They had a full jury um, that was selected pretty much by lunch. Um, you had nine jurors in Popak. Is it three alternates? I think it's three alternates. So it's it's nine in the box, as we say in the business, and three. And usually the three don't know they're they are alternates because the judge wants them to pay attention. And then they're told at the end when the jury. Uh, it goes to deliberate. The poor three people that have been there for six or eight days thinking they're going to be one of the jurors, they're told they're an alternate. But So yes, it's nine and three. So jury selection completed by lunch. Opening statements on Wednesday took place right after lunch. E. Jean Carroll's lawyers first. Uh, Joe Takapina for Donald Trump next. Um, and then pretty quickly they got through two witnesses. Um, they got through witness number one was Bergdorf Goodman employee. That was the department store um, at, at issue where the incident took place. Um, and uh, the witness talked about how what the layout was, what it looked like, how, how there was privacy, how Donald Trump could engage in the conduct without it being seen by other people or, or, or heard by other people, how they dealt with celebrities. So really painting a picture of the department store before E. Jean Carroll uh, testified. Then E. Jean Carroll testified on direct. She completed her direct. Then Joe Takapina did the cross-exam. I thought E. Jean Carroll did good during direct. By the way, the most high-risk plan, putting your witness on. I mean, there's there's really no other plan that you could have. I mean, arguably, you could put E. Jean Carroll towards the end of the case, but I think rightfully so. Roberta Kaplan, who's E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, recognized you got to, you know, the jury's going to be wondering, 
we got to hear from we got to hear from the victim, you know, right away. Um, but you think about it. This was a moment that E. Jean Carroll's been waiting for for years to tell her story. It is very hard to testify in a courtroom. It's ner- the nerves are beyond anything. There's no real prep. You can prep. You really can't prep for that moment in real time, what that's like to be cross-examined in a federal court while the entire world is watching or giving direct testimony. And I thought she did good on direct and then got more comfortable and towards the end of the direct started doing really good. But where I think her heroism and bravery and courage and just this moment that I think was you know, should leave an impression, her heroism for everybody, was on cross-exam when Joe Takapina started saying some really offensive things and bullying her, and she should, and she stood up to Takapina. Can we read transcript of E. Jean Carroll's testimony? I don't want to jump you, Popak, and, and give your yeah. description of what took place, but I want to leave this one final point before tossing it to you, not about what took place in court, though. But early on, Donald Trump started posting on his social media platform, calling the whole thing a scam and, you know, the, the normal stuff that Donald Trump does to try to threaten and harass proceedings. And uh, the judge was not having it. And E. Jean Carroll's lawyers would bring it to the attention of the court right away. Eric Trump tried to pull the same thing and posted something. They brought it to Judge Kaplan. And Judge Kaplan admonished Donald Trump and said to uh, his lawyer, Joe Takapina, you may want to start investigating some other United States codes. I think you know what I'm talking about, referring to criminal codes, obstruction of justice. Um, Eric Trump immediately put down his posts. We haven't seen any other posts from Donald Trump, but Donald Trump's been absent. So, Popak, the heroism of E. Jean Carroll on the stand versus the absence and the cowardice of Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, let's let's dive in a bit from the trial lawyer perspective that you and I are. I thought Eugene Carroll, both in direct and in cross, did a um, you know gave harrowing and riveting testimony because it's obviously true about what happened to her at Bergdorf Goodman's. Um, you and I talked about would she be first, would she be second. We, we were both right. She wasn't first. <laughs> she was second after Bergdorf Goodman employee painted the picture, the scene, for um, the fact that there are night hours and late evening hours at Bergdorf Goodman at least one night a week. Now E. Jean Carroll believes it's a Thursday that this happened, and Thursday night were late night hours in the 90s at Bergdorf Goodman's, meaning that one of the major legs of the stool of defense for Donald Trump is that how could this have happened in a crowded department store and nobody hear or see me do this thing that I've been accused of. He even said it in social media during this period that you just identified, during the trial rather than attending it. 
And they have an answer for that. The answer is it was a late night Thursday and, and late night Thursday, there's very few people in there. And these dressing rooms are very large and lingerie is not the number one spot in any department store. I mean, if you're talking about it happened in the handbag section or in the jewelry section or perfume, okay, then he may have an argument. But lingerie is always sort of a secluded area in a department store, a private area. And that's where she claims that it happened. So that's that's one leg out from him on that. He doesn't have an alibi because his his case has always been about it never happened and I don't know her. So he can't say because she doesn't have a date for this. She knows it happens in 95 or 96 because there's two witnesses that will be taking the stand next who she told contemporaneously in real time what had happened to her. So that answers the other defense, which is, why didn't you report it to anybody? It can't be true. She has two supremely credible witnesses we have not heard from yet. One of them, Carol Martin, is another well-known, um, famous newscaster on local news in New York on WCBS. She was the first African-American female anchor um, in New York. Uh, remember, E. Jean Carroll was married to a very well-known anchor on a competing station on WABC. She told Carol Martin she's going to testify to this jury again with the credibility of the public knowing her they're all going to know carol martin she was on the air for 25 years in new york and she's going to look this jury in the eye and said and says i remember a call a series of calls with e jean carol in 1995 or 1996 in which she reported to me that she was attacked by donald trump in the dressing room of bergdorf goodman's that's, that's another witness that takes away an argument for Donald Trump that A, it didn't happen, and B, she didn't contemporaneously tell anybody. Because Takapina made a big deal out of, well, you're you're a writer, right? You keep a diary, right? Did you write this down in your diary? And she says, no, because I only write happy thoughts in my diary. I don't put bad things in my diary, and that's why it's not in the diary. But so she has a witness. The second witness is Lisa Birnbaum. Lisa Birnbaum has a little bit of a celebrity because she wrote a famous book in the 80s called The... Uh, guide to the, the preppy guide to something whatever it was like a, pre, a book about preppy preppy dress and preppy lifestyle but she's a relatively well-known person and she'll come off as very credible and she's going to testify that she had a conversation with Eugene Carroll and I think with Carol Martin in which they, um, they talked about what had happened to her Carol Martin's going to testify that she said, if you go after Donald Trump, he's going to bring hundreds of lawyers against you and destroy your life. And Birnbaum is going to testify that when, when the events were described to her as a third-party listener, she said to, to E. Jean Carroll, E. Jean Carroll, uh, Jean, you, you were sexually assaulted. You know, because she was still in a state of shock from having been attacked by Donald Trump. So those are two powerful, powerful, supporting, corroborating witnesses that Donald Trump can't say, oh, uh, the date in 95, I, was, uh, I wasn't even in the country at that time, because his whole defense is, I didn't know her. The I didn't know her was taken away in opening argument, opening statement, when they showed the photo of them all meeting and laughing. You know, E. Jean Carroll, her then husband, uh, John Johnson, a, a news reporter, here it is there, 
Donald Trump and his, and his first wife, Ivanka. And, and that's not just as Donald Trump said, oh, I met him at the coat, coat room. And uh, that's laughing and giggling. Look at Ivanka's face. Look at John Johnson's face. Look at, look at, look at E. Jean Carroll. Is that somebody who doesn't know Donald Trump? Is that somebody that you're just meeting for the first time and you're in awe, like you're, you're trying to get a, an autograph? No, these are people that are that operate at the same socioeconomic celebrity scale and they're interacting with each other. So that took that entire thing away from them. And then you've got the Access Hollywood tape that's going to be played that shows that Donald Trump routinely uses his celebrity to attack women against their will. And then you've got two women that are going to, that are going to testify that it, me too, it happened to me too. A reporter for the People magazine and a woman, unfortunately, who got moved up to first class and, and she says got groped by Donald Trump in and around, you know, these kind of same times. E. Jean Carroll, as a witness, because you and I were kind of holding our breath and a little bit white knuckled, as you would identify, that testimony is so important. In fact, jury science and sexual predator prosecutors will tell you, juries make up their mind about the case Opening and first witness, if, if the first witness is the victim. And yes, there's other witnesses that go on after that, and the trial can go on for weeks or days, but they have probably already made up their mind after watching E. Jean Carroll, even before the cross-examination by Joe Tacopina. That's what jury science says, the study of juries and how they make decisions. If that's true, she did she proved her case. She she came off incredibly well, authentic, honest, courageous. She and then she was ready for the counterpunching when Jack when Jacopino, who has decided to be a my new phrase, the pit bull in the in the China closet, in the in the China store, not just the bull in the China shop. He goes after her in every way you and I identify would be inappropriate and would turn a jury off, especially a jury who's yeah. already turned off to Donald Trump because there's an empty chair and he hasn't bothered to arrive. He mansplained her. He turned his back on her while she was trying to complete a thought. When she got emotional, he didn't react as a human being. He reacted like it was an act. He told the jury in the beginning that you're, gonna have to, you're being asked to believe the unbelievable. She's not unbelievable in everything she has said and doing exactly when, when Mike Ferrara, who's the lawyer, former federal prosecutor that's working with uh, that's in um, Robbie Kaplan's office, the law firm for E. Jean Carroll. That's who they chose to put her on. I'm sure her, him and a whole bunch of other former federal prosecutors were preparing her night and day for this testimony. And she's done incredibly well because the truth is easy to deliver. Right. Because it's true. She's not making it up. She's been very, very honest. But they did that thing that you and I have talked about, which is bringing out the bad stuff. Ups. She brought out all of the things that they know that Takapina and Trump were going to go after in her story. All the quote unquote weak points in her story. She couldn't remember the date. Uh, it wasn't in her diary. She didn't scream when it happened or didn't alert people. She didn't go get medical treatment. She didn't report it to the police. Right. All of those things. And um, by the way, Popak, I'll just mention right there. Sure. All of the things that are wrongly and horrifically right. used to attack victims in that situation. Um, I think E. Jean Carroll's lawyers knew that that's what that's where Donald Trump was going to go. That's how you attack victims. So just prepare the jury for those attacks and explain why those are baseless attacks.
That is messed up. In situations and, like this. And she had the best counterpunch of this trial. I don't care what happens after it. And if she wins the trial, which she should, this will be the thing that did it. When he said to her callously, because he's using like an old playbook and I guess works in a criminal courthouse when you got to make one juror have reasonable doubt, but doesn't work here. He said to her, you didn't, you didn't yell out or scream, did you? And she said two things. She said, one, I'm a fighter, not a screamer because she fought back. That was her lack of consent, of course, that's necessary for the, for the, uh, for the charge that she need him, that she pushed him off him, off her. But she said at the end, whether I did or didn't scream doesn't change the fact that your client sexually assaulted me. And she said it so, I mean, I, I wasn't in the room, but the reporting is, right, there's the quote. So that, and the jury who, is, who, who the court watchers have reported are riveted by E. Jean Carroll's testimony. They ignore, they never watch Joe Tacopina which is a bad sign. If they're not following the lawyer who's doing the cross-examination, right? Because in the direct examination, it's all about the spotlight on the witness. So you as the lawyer, if you and I are putting on E. Jean Carroll, we step back and we step back at the podium and we let all the light go on properly on the plaintiff, on the witness, on E. Jean Carroll. When you're the cross-examiner, you want it on you. It's about you. Yes, it's her, it's that person's answers, None of them are watching Joe Tacopina. They're all watching her, which is a body language bad sign for the defense if they if they needed it. But they went down this road. You and I said, who on that trial team is going to deftly and properly cross-examine this witness? And, the, and we said, it can't be Tacopina. He, he doesn't have any. He, he's like... Uh, you know, he's, he's there with a bludgeoning, like a hammer. And that's not going to work in front of this jury. We're going to see. They only, the, the jury has to be unanimous, but the burden of proof is much lower than in a criminal case. Yes, there's a criminal sexual assault component to this, but it's a civil standard, and that's advantage E. Jean Carroll. She only has to show that it's more likely than not that it happened. So we, we talk about the scales of justice being equal at the beginning of a trial. It just means there's a feather now on one side that tips it ever so slightly in favor of the plaintiff. And that's all they have to say. And believe me, in the closing, I don't know who's doing the closing, whether it's going to be uh, Sean Crowley who did the opening or Mike Ferraro who, from the law firm who did the, uh, the direct examination and they'll soon be doing the redirect of, of E. Jean Carroll, or it's going to be Robbie Kaplan doing closing. We'll see. Robbie may not make an appearance. At the rate her, her, her colleagues are successfully trying this case i'm not sure you have robbie kaplan pop up what do you think ben? i think that her entire team has done an incredible incredible job i think she may take a witness yeah. or two um but i i she think does closing that, she has to right if she does closing she's gonna have to take a witness beforehand yeah uh, but i think her entire team has just been it's yeah. been a plus lawyering and you've seen you know when she has these former federal prosecutors who are just doing the direct and by, and by the way 
building a foundation and doing a direct exam is not an easy task because um, you have to set the foundation, set the stage, not bore the jury in doing it. Walk the witness through. Make sure that you don't lead the witness because that's you, you, there's an objection to leading. You got to make sure that the witness doesn't ramble, you know, and you got to be engaging to the jury. It is it is a real skill. Following that direct so far and the opening has been a plus. That's one point I want to make. Second point I want to make, in terms of, I think, if you're E. Jean Carroll's lawyers, the riskiest part of your case, and it's not unique to this case, it's in every case when you put your witness on and when you decide to put your plaintiff or your client on the witness stand is always, you know, one of the most difficult parts. Everything else after E. Jean Carroll, though, it gets way worse for Donald Trump. To your point, other me, other victims who Donald Trump did the same thing to, you've got other contemporaneous witnesses who back up what E. Jean says. Then you put the Donald Trump deposition on, and then you rest. And then you say, um, the plaintiffs rest their case, and the judge goes, defense, you may present your witness. And then when Donald Trump's too big of a coward to show up, he hasn't showed up already, the jury's taken notice of that, and then after all of that's out there, and, and then Takapina goes, we rest as well, and they go to closing, which I think is what's going to happen. Well, well, with, wait, wait, one alteration. She hasn't... She has She has two experts that she's going to put on, including one about damages to her reputation for defamation. He has one expert left. He, he I don't know, I don't exactly know the testimony. The only live expert, the only live witness that they're going to put on on the Trump side is a, um, a, psych, a psychiatric, uh, psychological expert of some type. I don't know what. Maybe to talk. I mean, this will be terrible. If it's another man, I'm going to say it out loud as a as a man. If it's another man that's going to tell this jury about her behavior or conduct while she was the victim of what happened to her in that dressing room, this is going to, I mean, this is this is going terribly so far for Donald Trump, at least in my view. As, Could, as couldn't agree more with you. And then finally, Alina Haba, for all of the bluster, for all of the media appearances, we haven't even heard her name in trial. And as I said here in Legal AF, Alina Habat likely doesn't even know how to do a direct examination. She likely doesn't know how to do a cross-examination. Like, when I say that she is a bad lawyer, she's not only a bad person, but she is a horrible lawyer. Like, And by the way, here's the thing. There may be other skills that she has, but she presents herself in all of her interviews that she is a badass trial lawyer and she is coming for you. And you better, you know, it's like the WWE style. You better get ready. Habba's coming for you. And then you show up and, and it's like, all right, take a witness. And Habba's like, uh, let's let Takapina do it. Let's let Takapina do it. And, and I don't think we'll hear from Alina Habba at all. And if we do, we'll see what a bad lawyer she is. Oh, well, it'll be to your point, to your point, if she was skilled, they would never have replaced her with with uh, Joe Takapina. Just to remind everyone, there was a moment in time. He's
that even E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, Robbie Kaplan, believed based on a conversation that she had with Hahaba and reported to the judge in a letter about two months ago, three months ago, she believed that Haba was gone and Takapina was in completely, that she had been fired from the case. Then, because of the bad publicity and press, including on Legal AF and on the Midas Touch Network, about that replacement, suddenly Haba the next day, and in her filing with Takapina in the letter, no, 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 I'm not out. Robbie, we know Robbie Kaplan. She's been on the show. There's no way that Robbie Kaplan had a conversation with Alina Haba and, and, and falsely believed or was mistaken that a lawyer was departing the case. You and I have had this conversation with lawyers about departing a case. It's not like, it's not a mystery. They either say those magic words or they don't. And she said it to Robbie Kaplan because I believe her, not Alina Haba. So she was going to get canned and fired. So she was not going to. have a role. Then Takapina came in, realized what a crappy job uh, Alina Haba had done in the pretrial preparation process, which we've reported on dutifully, the screw-up in the DNA evidence, the screw-up on other on other documents and, uh, and evidence that came out with Takapina trying to save the bacon. You know, with with late last minute, late night filings with the judge before trial, and the trial say, and the judge saying, "We did that already, Mr. Takapina. That was your co-counsel. I already ruled against that. Get to trial. Let's go to trial." So it's not surprising to me, but it shows you if she was, if she was half as good as she reports herself to be when she's on television, she'd be doing the opening statement. She would be doing the cross-examination of E. Jean Carroll, but she can't because she's not capable. That's what we're watching. So people that watch her on Newsmax and Fox News or wherever else she's popping up who think, oh, this is an expert who, who's a really good lawyer and counterbalancing all the... You want to know what the really good lawyers are? It's the Jack Smith team. It's the E. Jean Carroll team. It's the people that won 70 cases against Donald Trump about election fraud around the country. Those are the good, the unsung hero that we talk about all the time on Legal AF. Not this group of people that lose, that are just losers, that Donald Trump's around. Justice John Roberts wrote this letter back saying, nope, it is extraordinary request. 
you know, we how dare you try to impugn the Supreme Court? It's the subtext. He wrote it nicer than that. But the Supreme Court, we're doing fine here. We're, we're doing just good. It's okay that Clarence Thomas is getting millions of dollars of gifts by, you know, billion billionaire Republican donors lavishing him with yacht trips and Bombardier 5,000 private jets that cost $200,000 to shuttle him around wherever he goes per trip. Yeah, that's that's cool on the Supreme Court. It's okay that Justice Alito's whining and dining with the... Hashtag inspirational... action which she's like revealing opinions about what the supreme court's going to rule on cases like the hobby lobby case removing uh, corporate obligations to provide contraception before the rulings come out it's okay that the, the leader of faith and actions testifying before uh, the house committee when the house committee actually did hearings when the democrats controlled it and exposed what was going on with alito and then we learned more about other people like gorsuch this week and kavanaugh more covered up in the investigations into kavanaugh's despicable conduct like in the kavanaugh investigation we were learning this week that the person they blamed for um like uh, re revealing his genitals you know, was this was someone in high school who wasn't even in Yale at the time? They claimed the woman had mistaken identity when she clearly said that it was Justice Kavanaugh who did it. Like Justice Kavanaugh, apparently, in addition to all of the other allegations that came out, they covered up all of these other allegations where he would like pull down his pants and show his genitals to people, and then they blamed it on kids in high school that came out this week. But you don't hear about that a lot on other media networks, right? You know, you don't hear about that. But that's actually what's going on, and it's all coming from the right wing and then and then neil gorsuch uh again another trump appointee got his log cabin paid for millions of dollars by the greenberg trowering managing partner a firm that appears be that has a robust supreme court practice that appears before gorsuch all the time popak what's going on oh i don't even know you and i before <laughs> we had a laugh during some of those all true by the way everything you just said was true there's not a there's not a right wing member of the supreme court that isn't currently embroiled uh, or recently embroiled in a scandal of their own making because they believe that they are um they are it's here in putin loving piece of garbage <laughs> he's a bloated orange obstructing narcissistic Ooh, Putin-loving chicken-livered twice oh, piece of garbage. Chicken-livered bunker boy whose father never, never loved him, so he's his father never loved him, so he's damaged. That's the, you know, if, his, the, if your father never loves you, then you're damaged. I know. He's a bloated orange. Okay, he's a bloated orange lunatic. Wait, no. Bloated orange racketeering, Putin-loving piece of garbage, garbage chicken. Because chicken is in the garbage. You have garbage. What's in it? Chicken. Criminal and grumpy, grumpy, bumpy shit. He's a bloated orange racketeering, Putin loving piece of garbage, chicken livered bunker boy. His father never loved him, so he's damaged and a deadbeat, phony, lying insurrectionist with psychopathic tendencies. He's twice impeaching, confident, a law obstructing, narcissistic, incoherent, criminal and bumpy, bumpy, fella, comes to make a please. Bitch, I nailed it. Oh, I nailed it. You bitch. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, he's a bloated orange racketeering, Putin-loving piece of garbage. <laughs> he's a bloated orange blob-structing narcissistic, ooh, Putin-loving chicken liver twice <laughs> piece of garbage, <laughs> chicken livered bunker boy whose father never never loved him, so he's his father never loved him, so he's damaged. That's the, you know, if his the, if your father never loves you, then you're damaged. I know. He's a bloated orange. Okay. He's a bloated orange lunatic. Wait, no. Bloated orange racketeering, Putin-loving piece of garbage, garbage chicken. Because chicken is in the garbage. You have garbage. What's in it? Chicken. Criminal and grumpy, grumpy, bumpy shit. He's a bloated orange racketeering, Putin-loving piece of garbage, chicken-livered bunker boy. His father never loved him, so he's damaged. Dead to dead, be phony, lying, insurrectionist, with psychopathic tendencies. He's twice impeached, confident, law-obstructing, narcissistic, incoherent, criminal, and grumpy, trumpy, fellow. I nailed it. Oh. I nailed it. Bitch. Any, they are, they are, um, they can act with impunity and not with any ethical considerations because there's never been a judicial code of conduct or canon of conduct that applies to them. And they take full advantage of it. And so, um, you, so then what do you, you and I joked before that we started, you know, a little bit of a, a pre-show. I said, what is there, like, in the lunchroom at the Supreme Court? Is there a bulletin board?